Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge podcast, where we discuss creatives of color disrupting the game in TV, film, and pop culture. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Fashan, and on this episode, we chat with actor Kelvin Harrison Jr., who plays musician David Cliff in The High Note, directed by Nisha Ganatra. Welcome to the Spectrum Lounge, Kelvin. Hey, thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm so I'm so happy you're here. And I just want to start off cuz I was like if I ever speak to Calvin, I was like I just want to say I am so proud of you, young man. I really am. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I was just like, wow, he is doing the damn thing. I was looking at your IMDb <laughs> cuz I was doing some research and I was like, he is you like you would work consistently like since you started. I think your first credited acting is like 12 Years a Slave, right? Was that mm-hmm. 2000? And I was like, I got to go back and watch because I was like, I was just looking at all these projects and I was like, Kelvin was in them. Oh, see, like Mudbound. I was like, okay, I got to go back and watch that. <laughs> so, but that just shows you have really good taste and like, because most of the projects you've been in, I've loved all of them. So, well, if you blink in any of those two, you just name, you will miss me. But, <laughs> but they were, you know, I, I actually built really great relationships with each of those uh, directors from that. So, it doesn't matter, I guess, if you if you have no lines, small lines, one line, you mm-hmm. you can always build a relationship, and that's what that's what I've always um, made sure I did with anything. Yeah, well, you know, the funny thing is, I had tweeted uh, that I was going to be talking with you on the Spectrum Lounge, and I noticed that Gina Prince Bythewood liked it, and then I was like, wait, did he work with Gina Prince Bythewood? And I was like, oh, yeah. shots fired! There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. That's- Great. So, I mean, so how have you been holding up during this pandemic? Like, what have you been doing for like self-care and just kind of keeping yourself chill and relaxed? Well, it's just been I've been reading a lot um, Mm -hmm. and that's been really nice because usually I always had this excuse like, oh, I don't have time to read. And people like, well, you can read on the plane. I was like, I have scripts to read. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, you could, you know, what do you do on the weekends? I was like, I'm minding my business. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Very important. (laughs) (laughs) um so but it's been good to kind of like you know get recommendations on books from people and and just kind of stack up my list also trying to find books to option for things that i might want to do um once i'm finished with my next job um i've been cooking trying to you know Mm -hmm. figure out how to at 30 i want to be the ultimate dad so i'm learning how to cook so um and and build things i'm learning how to paint as a hobby you know what um, and I, yeah, so that's where I, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> you're like you're like the Renaissance man. I love it. I love it. So, what what are some of the books you've been reading? Like, what would you recommend to people? Uh, I've just been on a, a James Baldwin tip late recently. I mean, I read a uh, a Fire Next Time. Uh, I read uh, Giovanni's Room, and I just mm. finished Another Country. Um, and that's yes. oh, incredible, incredible. Just the prose, the, the, the world that he's created, the, the intersectionality between, you know, blackness and whiteness and, and queer people and, you know, the, just the, spe- the spectrum of sexuality. It's just, it was also fascinating. And, uh, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm just obsessed with him right now. I've also been reading, I read this book called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. That was interesting. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it though. Uh, and Tracy just recommended Aubrey Lord's Sister Outsider. So I'm so I'm about to start reading <gasps> that one. 
that's a fantastic book. I read yeah. it for my women's studies class back in college and I wrote a paper on it. It's oh, it's wow. really good. Yeah. That's it's what really, I hear. Really that's what I hear. Yeah. Um, speaking of James Baldwin, another country, I loved that novel. And um, I do remember reading that because I, I think Beale Street was the first movie, at least on the American side, that's been optioned that mm-hmm. was directed by Barry Jenkins. And mm-hmm. I, I've been hearing that they're looking at another country and I've heard that Jake Gyllenhaal kind of has his eyes on it or whatever. So yeah, but I can totally see you in that. I could totally like, if you get like a, this really dope ensemble cast, like that definitely needs to be option. So oh I'm going to well, keep my friends. Yeah, yeah. That's good to know. Jake Gyllenhaal, because he's interesting. I'm going to have to find out. Yeah. I'm going to email Jake. Be like, sir, what's, <laughs> like, what's, what's, good? what's going on, bro? <laughs> yeah. He's, he's a, like, he's very, I don't like to use the word woke, but I will say mm-hmm. that he's a very, conscious white actor in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've heard him speak. And I think some people told me that he was actually, he attended a couple of black lives matter protests in New York, which was interesting. So mm. I was like, okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. We like an ally. <laughs> Come on. All right. Yeah. Good. Allies always good. So, so let's talk about the high note. Um, so how, how did you become a part of this project? How, what attracted you to the role of, of David Cliff? Oh, uh, well, you know, I originally read the script maybe a year before the audition process even started. And um, I, there were, it were you know, it, it, I, I love the story and I love what Gray's story represented. And I found, I, you know, you know, I wasn't in the space to really um, even be interested in romance that much at the time. I think I, I was you know, going through like a breakup and I was like, I don't believe in love. And then I was also, <laughs> <laughs> I also was like focused on just being in these like, you know, really serious dramas. And that was where my head was at. Um, I just didn't feel like, what, what, what business do I have doing this? <laughs> mm. So I kind of said no. And then, you know, it came back around. I said no again. I didn't want to even audition or take a meeting. And then, um, then it came back to me once again after I had finished Waves. And uh, my agents were like, listen, man, you really need to find a studio movie. You, I know you love your indies, but we got to find you a studio movie. Please <laughs> just like take the meeting. And I was like, okay, fine. Um, right. And I met with Nisha and, you know, our conversation was so wonderful about just what it meant to be a, a young black male to kind of assume this romantic male position now and what it meant under this story that wasn't necessarily the guy has to get the girl to prove to his buddies because it's some type of bet or something like that or you know or whatever that might have been or because he has no game it was like he wasn't any of those things it was just about mm. respect for the gifts that they had and it was about perseverance and it was about you know sometimes that self-doubt you know getting the best of us and not allowing us to kind of like take the risks and, and knowing that the the reward will come in time if you keep going after it and i found that really inspirational and um i i, I wanted to kind of take part in it because of that right so so did you know that tracy uh, ellis ross was connected to the project at that point or did that happen after in the beginning uh, i remember I didn't. When I first read it, no one was attached. And then the second mm-hmm. time, I get. I think you know Dakota was attached. And then they finally told me right before I auditioned that Tracy was doing it. And I was like, yes, yes. I, I really. I just want to meet her. I just want to meet yeah. her. I want to be in the same space with her. I want to hear her talk. I, I just. Mm-hmm. That's the end. They, yes, I'm. I'm ready. Sign me up. I'm ready to audition. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I think it's cool, too, because like you and Tracy sort of have that connection of, you know, you both have parents. They're sort of like music 
legends, you know, I mean, her mom being Diana Ross, your father is a famous um, jazz musician, correct? As a yes. jazz musician? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, how did you two kind of connect on that level or, or how did you use because your your character is is a child of of two musicians. How did you use that in um, creating or crafting the character of David? Oh, I mean, it was it was so funny too because I remember telling Tracy, I was like, we have more in common than you know, Miss um, Ross. I was like, my mom used to do this show called Where the Girls Were. And she would play diva. The show's about all the the most influential divas of the time of like that time. And she would do Tina Turner and Diana Ross. And I remember wow. being a kid and watching her do it. And my mom's an incredible dancer and an incredible singer. And you know, she not, I wouldn't say she's a good actor. And so she she if she listens to this, you know you're not a good actor. But <laughs> but you have a beautiful voice. <laughs> oh my god! But uh, she was she was when she sung, it, you know. It was she gave a piece of herself every time, and mm-hmm. um, one of the best things that Tracy gave us was she allowed she she brought us to Vegas one day to see her mom perform, and we flew and you know she put us in this really nice hotel and we went to her mom's concert and I got to meet Miss Diana um, on stage like Tracy got up and Tracy said come up with me and I went up with her and Miss um, Diana Ross was like you you want to sing a song and I was like no 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 I'm too scared. <laughs> Right. I was like, I was thinking of Tracy Sings. I'm not going to disgrace your stage like that, ma'am. Um, <laughs> um, but it was so surreal to uh, to to see uh, the levels in which this um, kind of played out in our lives, and you know these icons that have inspired us um, all the way down the line to my mother, to me, and um, that journey that we had to overcome that night. We talked about you know what we have to overcome to to be here right now to be singing in a studio, to be, you know, we both strayed away from music to become actors because we, we had art in us. We had story in us. We just, we, we just didn't know how to incorporate that musical side that's always lived in us in this. And now's our moment. So it was truly beautiful. Wow. Um, you know, cause one of the things I, I really loved about David's character is that, you know, we are introduced to him and then we find out that, you know, he's this young black man who's has money. Um, he's clearly yeah. privileged, <laughs> but I, lo- I, but I love the fact that there was like, it wasn't a big deal. You know what I mean? Like he was just like, yeah, I got money and this is my house. And, you know, and really the, the challenge for him was really, like you said, overcoming sort of like this imposter syndrome that he felt within himself and, and figuring out if he was good enough. And I just love that it, it just gave him space to kind of explore himself, mm-hmm. you know, both emotionally and and um, and musically. So uh, speaking for music, I mean, we know I know that you were trained originally as a, as a musician. Um, then you segged into acting. Um for 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 singing because I know you also sang in Godfather of Harlem too. Like how, what did you feel comfortable with it, or was that something where you're like, I, I don't know if this is my lane. I'm not sure. Oh, I definitely didn't think it was my lane. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I like I said, I love music, and I and I grew up just immersed in it. You know, being in church playing the keyboard, and I would sing background vocals a little bit for my mom was like that was a spiritual experience like in, in, in every sense of the word because you it just is so it's so egoless you know especially gospel music it can be i mean i've known some people that do make it about like my riffs and my runs but at the same time i think at its core 
it's so much about just bearing your soul because we all are so grateful for, you know, this life we have and for the gifts we've been given. And we want to give glory and honor to this, 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 um, to God that, you know, we, that we all mutually believe in. And, um, I think that is how I perceive music was that side of it and the intellectual side, but, you know, doing it again now, I was, I was like, well, that was not about me. This seems like it's about, you know, what do I have to say? You know, what, how does my voice sound? Like, uh, I just became really insecure about it. Uh, and, uh, I just overthought it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. so it took, a it took a lot of people to kind of like shake me out of my comfort zone. I was like, what did I really at, sign up for? You know, <laughs> like I, I knew <laughs> no. I wanted something like this, but you know, I'm about to be I'm about to be roasted on a black Twitter when this movie comes out. You know, you just don't know. These are the things you think about. Because <laughs> my mom right. told me when I auditioned for this um, play called Choir Boy on Broadway. And I, I my mom was like, uh, what's it about? And I was just explaining to her you know, about these, these guys in the church. And she said, How, you got to sing like you've been in the church. And I was like, yeah. She's like, you don't have that voice. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> she was like, come on, we know better. She said, we, we watched American Idol. We don't, we don't stay, we stay in our lane. And I was like, fair enough. You know, so I've always had like an awareness to it. Um, but I, I do think that this movie was different and this character had a different thing to, to say. Um, it wasn't about like who can do the best uh, riffs and runs. It was more about um, his narrative and his, his confidence building and um, having more of a soulful touch to music than uh than the technical side right um i actually had a friend of mine who um had who also screened the movie and he was like when he listened to david's music he was like it really he was like i i would say it's like i would compare it to neo which wow, I think is so compliment. funny. Yeah, he was like he, he was like he has like a neo vibe, and I was just like, yeah. And I was like, these, I was like, the songs that David is singing in this movie. I was like, you could easily put this, you know, on like, you know, Hot ninety seven or Power one hundred five or or whatever. So when you were creating David's character and just like his musical sounds, were there any like singers that you were thinking about specifically for inspiration? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I love that neo came up because I, I you know. Naturally, um, I think with my church sensibilities and just being like that, like well-to-do black boy, that's what my, <laughs> I think Neo kind of has that vibe with a little, with like swagger a little bit, but he's kind of, yes. you know, I, 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 you know, Neo's always been fun to watch and um, we root for him. We always root for him. And I think uh, I did want to have a little bit, especially in the rom-com space um, of him, him, cause he feels familiar. He also feels nostalgic and, um, he, he, he reminds us of a time um, that we all love listening to music and dancing and singing along. And when, you know, when the, the club track would come on or wherever it might be, you know, you, you love Neo. So he was definitely something that was in mind. Um, I also looked at Anderson Pack. Um, I thought of Daniel Caesar and Leon Bridges, um, Gary Clark Jr. So it was trying to like combine all these guys together to to make the the most ideal um musician within the rom-com space um yeah because i think this could go a bunch of different ways you can go real you know this could go a lot of different ways who would i want to see and um yeah so yeah yeah and and the other thing i was i was mentioning to my friend we were watching i was like he's got the freshest haircut like his hair is just impeccable i was just like (laughs) wow this is good i was like yes i'm living for that the waves everything yeah yeah 
we in the hairstylist talked about that. We were just like, because I was like, what are we going to do? I was like, I don't want to do like the little high top thing. I've done that. I was like, I don't want to shave it, but I don't want to be too like, uh, too like uh, uh, an indie or whatever that is. I, I want I want something that feels familiar. I was like, we got to bring back the Rico Suave waves. We got to bring back, the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they, they're just endless, just constant swimming. And I was like, we got to yes. have the crisp hairline. So I got, I got a haircut every day. The haircut would take two hours. Every wow. day I would get a haircut. It would be down like the barber was Rob. His name is Robert. If you mm-hmm. find Rob the barber, you got it. You're going to know you're going to get the best lineup in, in the game. He wears a white coat. He's a white coat barber. He's a doctor. Wow. <laughs> Almighty. Yeah, I saw. I saw the medicine. I saw it. Yes, you saw the medicine. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing yeah yeah his his whole look was like his wardrobe everything i was just like yep that's that's pretty much it so i mean as far, so who produced who because i know rodney jerkins was one of the music producers um on the high note did he produce your uh, david's music as well or was that someone else yes he, he did all the music for it he's he's incredible ah, yeah he's incredible I just I remember walking in his house and seeing like the Whitney um, platinum um, album stuff on his walls and Michael and, you know, and Mariah Carey and just thinking to myself, oh, my God, like this legend mm-hmm. here. He would tell us stories about how Michael would play video games in between takes of what of Michael like, Jackson. Yeah, he said he wow. loved to play video games. He loved cartoons. He loved stand up. And stuff like that. And, you know, it's just so cool because we just get these little snippets. And, you know, and Tracy, you know, also has like, you know, her family has a relationship. So hearing their stories back and forth was just like every day felt unreal. It felt Mm -hmm. unreal. (laughs) Oh, that's great. So I know um, there's at one point in the movie where you do sing with Tracy Mm -hmm. um, on stage. What was that like? It was, I think it was so, I think we both shared this experience that felt so emotional and, and vulnerable and um, just exciting. It was like the way Tracy described it was like the kid in us when we were like seven years old that dreamt of singing on stage with the lights and and audience and the cool clothes. It was like we're screaming in that moment, just being like, look at us, look at us. And the adult versions of us were just like, just happy that the kid version got to experience their dream. You know, mm-hmm. just showing that it's really possible. And like, we, I, I just remember looking in her eyes and just seeing so much depth and so much love that she had for this opportunity. And, I, you know, it was just, it was magical. I don't think I, I don't think I'll ever be able to experience something like that again. I'll always remember that as my first time performing in front of a live audience, even though it was a movie set, but it still felt real to us. Um, so yeah, and just just we just joked around a lot. It was it was a good time. We have all this beat behind the scenes footage that we might post one day of us just being silly. <laughs> oh yes, I want to see that. I want to see that. <laughs> so I mean, while I was watching the movie, I, um, because when you and and Dakota's character meet for the first time, and you guys are kind of, you know, um, exchanging like you know, your love of music or the musicians you listen to. And one of the musicians, uh, one of the a running joke between the two of you was like Sam Cooke, mm-hmm. uh, where you kind of are like, oh, who's Sam Cooke? And then you end up singing a Sam Cooke music uh, song uh, right <laughs> afterwards. Um, and then I thought, oh, my God. That, and then I, I thought of the connection in Godfather of Harlem, mm-hmm. where your mm-hmm. character actually meets a actor who plays Sam Cooke. Because um, I was like, I have to speak to you about Godfather of Harlem because I got to speak binge watch it maybe a few weeks ago um and i have to tell you it was such an emotional 
roller coaster watching that show. I mean, of course, we know that it's you know it's it's uh, it, it it follows Bumpy Johnson. Mm-hmm. After, you know, spending some time in prison. And so he's back in Harlem in 1963. And so you have like these historical figures like Malcolm X and Adam Clayton Powell and just kind of seeing Bumpy Johnson trying to regain his throne, so to speak. And your character um, plays this musician, play Teddy Green. And I'll be honest with you, when the mother came to Bumpy Johnson, it was just basically like, um, you need to save my son. With your character. And <laughs> yeah. she's like, is this white woman? Is this white woman devil? And so I, <laughs> yeah. I, I laughed, right? And I was like, oh, here we go. You know, because in my head, based on her narrative, I was like, oh, it's probably that kind of relationship. And the wonderful surprise about Godfather of Parliament, I think that was a testament to the acting and also the writing is that by the end of it, I totally took this relationship seriously. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was like, cause it was like, no, we're really trying to tell a story here mm-hmm. um, of these two people that, that really want to be together. Um, but you have all these circumstances that are, that are tearing them apart. So for Teddy Green, uh, how did you get that role? And, and, and what was it like working with Forrest, for, with Forrest Whitaker? First of all, thanks for watching the show. That's so cool. Yeah. I was like, no one's going to watch this show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I remember it was right after Waves. Uh, they were, I was like, man, what am I going to do after this movie? Um, I, I need another project. And so uh, TV was on the table. And I've always been a little bit uh, hesitant to take on a TV show because I, 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 I have a, a fear of staying on something too long. And not having enough, um, there are too many. There are a lot of cooks in the kitchen with TV, and sometimes if you don't really know the showrunner, or you don't have a relationship with the studio, you can get, just kind of get um, brushed aside. And I was like, my career is just starting. I didn't really want to uh, be locked in for seven years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah. so uh, they, you know, my agents really convinced me to do it. I taped for it, and then. Um, Chris Brancato, the showrunner, was really nice. He Skyped me and he offered me the role like the next day. And I was like, whoa. And then, you know, they started doing the numbers. And, uh, and I was like, oh, whoa, this is what TV money looks like. I was like, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I haven't seen that. I've been doing indies and they they they, they can pay a couple of uh, rent bills and that's about it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so... I, you know, that was that was how I kind of started with the show. And then suddenly I remember going to Monsters and Men Press and JT Leroy Press in Toronto Film Festival and Assassination. And then suddenly being in New York, I had moved. It's my, like my, I, I lived in Greenpoint. I got this uh, little loft right by the studio and we were in it. I was, you know, trying to learn, taking guitar lessons every week and meeting um, Lucy Fry, who plays Stella. And we were just kind of just trying to figure it out. And so Forrest, you know, rooted for me for this role because I think uh, I think they were maybe leaning towards another guy. And uh, I think Forrest saw this video of me singing in my bathroom. And mm-hmm. uh, I I was singing this song about this. Uh, this this is a beautiful song. I forgot what it's because but um, about this guy who drives a minivan and he's just an ordinary dude. And um, but you know. People applaud actors and entertainers on stage because uh, 
because of what they what they do. But the real heroes are the people, basically essential workers every day that are out there hustling their butts off. Um, yet I'm the one that's celebrated. And I think, I guess that meant something to him because he brought it up to me. He was like, that was a great song. And I was like, I didn't write it. He was like, oh, well, just don't tell nobody that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it was just cool. I didn't get to work with him that much as you saw in the show, but the moments yeah. I did, there was were, were, a lot of wisdom. And, uh, you know, he, he really taught me how to, 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 to really look and find interesting choices in different colors and scenes and um, mm-hmm. not settle for the obvious, you know, just to really push the boundaries and kind of go for it. Even if, you know, TV doesn't really allow us a lot of time, but that's even more of a reason to go for it um, and not right. be safe. So, yeah. Right. Oh, that's great. And I mean, it's so great to be able to, as a young actor, to have like these mentors, you know, someone like Forrest Whitaker and then, you know, with, with Waves being able to work with Sterling K. Brown, because mm-hmm. um, I know we we had met when I did the Oscar panel for mm-hmm. it. And uh, by the way, your your impression of Sterling K. Brown to this day still cracks <laughs> me up. That was the best thing ever. <laughs> oh my God. I was listening to him every day. So I was just like, this man's voice is in my head. I was like, I gotta <laughs> let it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what so what kind of wisdom or what kind of um advice did did Sterling impart to you while you're working on waves? Well, I think he just taught me how to like he said, relax, loosen up a bit. I think, uh, you know, he, I think he respected the fact and he completely understood, you know, why I took it so seriously. And he, and I think he appreciated that, you know, I knew the moment I had and I knew the, the, the complexity of the movie we were doing. And so, and he was like, I can tell that you do this a lot. You, you get, you get really locked in and you take it very seriously and, and almost to the point where you might be killing yourself. (laughs) He's like, just breathe, man. He was like, relax. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, take the weekends off. Um, I think, mm-hmm. you know, him explaining the the balance between having a family, you know, he doesn't have a choice in a lot of ways. He has to kind of come in, do the work, leave it at, at work, go home, take care of his wife and his kids. And, and it, it creates a balanced lifestyle. And so he really becomes when he's on, he's on. And when he's on, he's giving 100 um, percent. When you're on 24 seven, are you really giving 100 percent on the day? You know, are you are you really giving your full self and also what relationships are you beating up during the process? So I think um, he really taught me about balance and uh, and the work and um, and and not taking it all so seriously. Uh, right. It, yeah. So it, it, it was a relief. You know, I think that's also <laughs> why I did the rom-com afterwards, because I was like, he right. <laughs> no, it's a, good, it's a good balance I mean like thinking about your career like I love the fact that you're just able to kind of show like this flexibility and this range like you can play like you can do like these intense dramas like ways or loose and then you can do the photograph where you're kind of like the goofy you know sidekick and, mm-hmm. and you know and I think that's just so important when you're building your career as a black actor because you you don't want to be boxed in mm-hmm. as like oh, oh oh that actor that I just want him for that role but it's like no we have range you know, because right, we always right. talk about, you know, Al Pacino and Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'm like, but black actors have range too. Right. When right. we're allowed, when we're allowed to have when we're range. We're allowed to have range, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know what's interesting is um because uh, two of the movies that came out that I loved, I loved Loose and I loved Waves. And I love that you were able to play like these characters in a way that were controversial that didn't exactly fit into a, a box, so to speak. Cause I've I've had conversations with some people about waves. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who have some very strong feelings about the movie, but I was like, 
But I feel like, at least for me, as a critic and 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 as as a as a black woman, I was like, but I th- I feel like these are the conversations that waves needed to bring up, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. because of the fact that we're talking about toxic masculinity. And we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, particularly in ways we're talking about the messages that we give our young black sons. Right. Like the, mm-hmm. the, the toxic black men that we see, they didn't just come out of the ether. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there's some na- nurture and nature going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the fact that we don't we don't allow them to feel we don't allow them to be little boys. We don't allow them to be um, emotional. Have you have you had these kind of conversations with ways where people may feel like, well, I I I didn't feel that this movie was, you know, a positive depiction of, of young black men in cinema, in cinema. What would you say to that? I, you know, I, I feel like everyone's very polite and no one really talks to me about them, but I do hear about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I get this, I see screenshots sent to me and I, you know, I, I, I do hear about them and I, I get it. But I think, you know, like you said, I, I do think the conversation is necessary. Um, when I'm doing movies like that, I, it's always about asking myself, what's the intent? What is my intent with doing this? I understand the complications and some of the things that may be that may go unseen because of the other elements involved. But one of the beauties of working with Trey was, you know, it first started with trust, love, and knowing that there was a mutual respect for one another, that he wouldn't intentionally try to, you know, to, to, to do anything that will perpetuate the stereotypes, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's only so much he knows. There's only so much I can educate. There's only so much we can do with the story when um, when the focus was really about family. And it is about, like you said, toxic masculinity, about the father-son relationship, about young men feeling like they, they, they can be vulnerable, they can speak up, they can be different. Um, and what, you know, what Sterling and I always talked about was uh, – what does it look like for black people with white people privileges? You know, that topic has to be mm. How do we navigate, you know, some of these, this nuance, the discussions about um, black excellence and, um, and um, coming into um, overcoming the obstacle of when your parents may have been, you know, um, working on the field or, or working on the ground or whatever like that. And suddenly they did enough to, to develop a business to give you some opportunity so that you can go to the best schools. Um, and what is it like when you're exposed to kids that, you know, you normally wouldn't move into neighborhoods that could be predominantly white? That's a thing as well. And, and what influences have you gotten? I think all of these things haven't been touched on. And my only concern sometimes is I, I have to, you know, accept the fact that when you're diving into that, most people won't um, relate. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's like the difference between you listen to uh, the baby and uh, Pop Smoke versus Stormzy, you know, completely mm-hmm. different upbringings, completely different things they've been exposed to. Both of them in their own right, you know, one's about brotherhood and community and, you know, you're speaking to the relevance of what they understand. And, and some people won't relate to that. Stormzy is from London and, you know, and he speaks, you know, on so many other topics. And I think both of them are wonderful in their own right. But uh, it's about that spectrum of blackness that we have to sometimes um, accept. And with that, you know, with and I think unfortunately, I, I think we only get those opportunities um, sometimes when we take the risk with a white filmmaker. And I think it's because sometimes that white filmmaker gets the movie that the studio will green light that maybe the other filmmaker wouldn't have gotten greenlit, unfortunately. Mm, And so what do I have to do as a performer that, you know, as an actor, um, 
with a little bit of, um, I guess, some type of say or agency within the field um, is take that opportunity instead of giving it to the white boy, which, you know, he could do it. It's a movie we, we have seen. We don't care about it. It offers nothing to our community. It offers nothing to the world. Whiteness exists. And most of the time we like to look at the world as if it's through a white prism. It's just that's not how humanity is defined. Um, so I get the opportunity to kind of like pinch and poke and shift things around. It's not going to encapsulate everyone, but it is going to touch on a few topics that need to be touched on. And also, if things are, I think, problematic, I like the fact that there's an argument about it because it addresses Mm. it for the white filmmaker, for the white audience to see it for themselves. Um, And it also allows us to be a little bit more aware and maybe hold us a little bit more accountable moving into our next project with evidence. And I can bring receipts and be like, this is why this is not going to work for you. So if you listen to me, I can show you right. the, 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 um, the backlash that will happen. So, I, you know, I don't mm. I try not I can't take offense to any of it. I think it's all a part of the growth. It's all a part mm-hmm. of the process. And I'm, I'm, I love I love criticism. It's, it's good. Hard, but I, good. I love that you said that. I absolutely love that you said that because, you know, there's been a there's been this conversation online and sort of offline to, you know, with black critics where, you know, there's this pressure right uh that when you have a project that comes out with with black leads or black talents there's sort of this feeling that well you know we we don't get that many opportunities and we don't get that many movies made so it's sort of like this idea that if a black movie comes out it's sort of like you you can't really critique it too hard you know what Mm. i mean like Mm -hmm. and i feel like in a way i mean speaking as a black critic i was like ah that's sort of a disservice you know what i mean because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean again all criticism is an opinion it's an an informed opinion Mm -hmm. but the same way that we should be able to you know uh the same way that you know uh, a a movie with white leads right you know what i mean can can be critiqued then with black leads and black creatives um we got to do the same thing too right Mm -hmm, you know what mm -hmm. i mean and so but then i I think about what you said about like the opportunities um sort of that double standard the opportunities that black filmmakers don't often get to tell like these complicated stories of black narratives and then i think of loose which to me is like a miracle in itself because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know for for years when i was in i always said this i was like i cannot wait for a really good emphasis on good and really good and complicated black psychological thriller. I have been waiting for years. Mm-hmm. We had some that came out. Can't say they were good, but with Luke, <laughs> you know, I, I love the fact that it was actually directed by a black director with, mm-hmm. with Julius Ona, and then it had this black lead, and it was it was great. I was like, this is the movie that we're waiting for. Like, at least with blacks with black criticism, like this is what we're fighting for is for movies like Loose to be able to find a space. You know what I mean? To be able to have that nuance in order and also for black actors too i'm like all black actors don't want to play heroic figures like that's nice right but the real meat of drama i mean you can tell me i mean the real meat of the drama are are playing characters that are less than virtuous right that are complicated that are that might be villainous that could be living in the gray Yes. And, you know, one of the things that when I was, you know, one of my favorite actors of all time is Viola Davis. And mm-hmm. me and my friends, when we would grow up, we just watch her interviews and hear she would talk about character. And she was like, the people that I know aren't always brave. They're not heroic. You know, 
They're not perfect. They're, you know, they're sexualized in their own way. They're seen in their own heroicism in their own way. And they're vulnerable. And sometimes they're scared. And sometimes they can be manipulative and they can be nasty and they can be, you know, it is the, it's the complexity of a human being. What are we all fighting for and how do we choose to get there? So um, when I'm looking for roles, it's not necessarily trying to, I want to be the perfect something. Or I'm trying to fit into anyone else's box of what someone else did. I'm like, there's so many humans. We've evolved so much. And, and what people look like has also changed. If you talk to, I could yell outside the balcony and be like, excuse me, tell me uh, what, what's your favorite, uh, who's your favorite artist? And you'd be like, interesting. Why did you like that? What, you know what I mean? Like, why do you like these clothes? Everybody's so different. And so I think when I'm, I, I think when I'm looking for roles, it's, it's, it's not looking for it's just not looking for the thing that's been seen before that what's the point <laughs> i just right. think you know i we most likely we've seen it i think um also you know a lot of times i get this thing where people kind of go well you're like some people say you're like the next michael b jordan or you're the next you know will smith or you're next denzel or da, 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 da. and i'm just like can i not be any of those things because they've already been done um mm-hmm. i just I, i'm Denzel's done a great job at what he does and Will Smith's done a great job at what he's done. They open up doors for all of us. Michael B is doing his thing over there. And now my goal is to do open up another door that they didn't get to open because of the sacrifices and the, and the things that they've worked so hard to get us. Now my job is to take all of those things and, and sh- shake it up even more. Um, and right. not just necessarily keep it within the, the safe space that we think it has to exist in. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is. It's 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 trying to find, you know, characters that are flawed, flawed people. We all are flawed in some way. But that's what makes us interesting. That's what makes us beautiful. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I remember there was a conversation. This was like a couple of years ago and it was John Boyega. Um, He had attended a carnival in Notting Hill. So it was like a West Indian, whatever. And there was footage of him. I guess one of his friends had, you know, uh, recorded on IG and he was, you know, he was dancing. He was getting his, you know, whining. Um, And then what was interesting is he got some flat. He got uh, flack for that. They were like, well, you're um, a character in the Star Wars franchise and that you should not you know, be acting like this. Like this is, this mm. is not becoming behavior for a, a young black actor in a star Wars mm, franchise. No, and, and we could, we could, we can read what's underneath there. And then there was this, there was actually somebody who said to him, I, I don't know if this person was white or black, but they were like, well, Mr. Boyega, they were like, well, you're supposed to be the next Denzel Washington and, and Denzel Washington wouldn't be caught dancing. <laughs> And John Boyega was like, I'm not, he was like, I'm not trying to be Denzel Washington. Which goes back to what you said. He's like, I'm not trying to be Denzel Washington. I love Denzel Washington. I'm trying to be John Boyega. That's, that's who I'm trying to be, you know? So yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy. But yeah, it's like, you know, like I think about actors like you and Lakeith Stanfield and Brian Tyree Henry. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, we, we have to be able to give black, talent and black actresses too we have to be able to give them that space the space to play yeah. yeah to play like when you think of somebody like al pacino or robert de niro or, or any you know uh, of your white faves it's like if you look at their filmography a lot of the roles that they play are very flawed characters right and so i'm just like yeah i, I just always feel like that's that's how you grow as right. an actor by to, yeah. to do that yeah and i also think it's just like we have to be careful of you know 
the powers that be and, you know, this need, you know, I, I've been very careful to not find, to start to do things out of desperation because, you know, they dangle things in front of you to make it seem like, you know, unless, unless you're, you're, you know, you're not really allowed a seat at the table unless you're willing to settle for tokenism. And mm. I'm, 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 I've been very, you know, careful about that, you know, it's the it's this idea that um, I would perform the way you want me to. I'll be the mold that you you feel it will deem as acceptable. Um, I will you know quietly assimilate you know to whatever construct or or structure that you have for me without saying anything, just because it, it gets me further in my career. That's a trap. That's a trap, and that's also not guaranteeing you anything. They will cancel you just as fast as they brought you up. So wow. um, to, 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 to form yourself as this ideal version of what it means to be black and excellent and, and, and to do the roles that, you know, and, you know, to, to, for John Boyega to say, you know, if he even were to even consider not living his life like he wants to live his life, he's all, he almost already has lost, you know? Um, so I, I think, um, you know, kudos to him and like everybody that is just not interested in, and in those in those um those boxes, you know, we keep saying boxes, but there are boxes that they want to put mm-hmm. us in, right? So, yeah. Like the be- like the best black friend, the sassy yeah. best black yes. friend. Yes, all of it, <laughs> all of it. You know, <laughs> yeah, it can be it can be exhausting. <laughs> Even being um, careful of playing the you know the black boyfriend. <laughs> you know, yes. I, I think about it. You know, when I do it, I've done it twice. I've seen The Godfather mm-hmm. as a situation, and I understand it had meaning behind it. And even this movie has its own um, thing to be a little bit mindful of. But <laughs> you know, I, I do think that it's something to be aware aware about. Even then, like, yes, it's cool to be the romantic black lead in the movie, but at what cost? I think you know you have to ask the right questions when anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. That's a that's a really good point. <laughs> um, so going forward, so I know you said that you're in in choosing the roles. You're very selective in the rules. Are are you thinking about like going into production, like like creating your own production company to create like your own projects? I definitely want to create my own production company. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely, you know, I'm reading some of the books I'm reading now are, are because I want to option them. And maybe, you know, turn it into something. I, I have great relationships at this point with uh, Lucas Films and A24 and HBO. And I, I do want to, um, I think the reason why you get to work and meet people and make connections, you know, so ultimately you can have, use your voice. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think, I, I don't think I became an actor just to act. I love acting. Uh, I think the process of acting is fascinating. The actual doing the acting gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> so I don't think that I can do it forever, but um, right. I'm definitely watching like Octavia um, navigate, you know, her production company and how she moves and how she's producing her own content and paying attention and reading articles about Michael B. Jordan and keeping tabs and seeing how he's doing it. And just mm. other people that I really admire and respect and talking to Tracy, obviously, um, you know, and, and some of her, outside endeavors with her business and you know things that she's writing and you know you know just you know some of the things that she speaks on i just find fascinating there is a life outside of uh just performing and that you know 
can you can kind of talk about you know your, the holistic view of your experiences and share that wisdom. I've gotten so many tidbits passed along to me, and I, I'm only 25, and so I'm like I can only imagine what the next you know um, 10, 15 years look like. So I'm definitely gearing up for that now. Right. So I know that you, uh, when we met, you had just finished wrapping up. Is that the Chicago Seven, correct? Yes. yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. Yeah, so. Um, the Trial of Chicago Seven uh, is uh, it's about these these seven guys, including Bobby Seale, which kind of makes it the Trial of Chicago Eight, um, who basically are are, are fighting. Um, I don't want to get it wrong. I'm trying to get the details right. Are are in trial on trial because of uh, of uh, it's it, uh, they were they're in the wrong places, and now they're been accused of perpetuating some of these these riots that kind of took about that kind of took place um and uh i played fred hampton who was uh over the chicago chapter i mean of the black panther party from 17 to 21 and the fbi took him out um Mm. murdered him in his sleep Mm -hmm. when he was 21 and uh pretty much i i kind of come in to be um bobby seals bobby seals voice um when they don't give him um the right to have a lawyer uh, in court. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So uh, it's a, it's a, it's honestly probably one of the best scripts I've ever read. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. The um, Sorkin's perspective on it is very Sorkin. Um, yes, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's sharp. It's concise. It gets to the point. It's very funny at moments. Um, it, it has those uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Social Network type uh, snarky, snarky comments back, you know, back and forth to each other, and it's really great. And right. uh, uh, the ensemble's great. It was like to see you know, Eddie Redmayne, Mark Ryland, Franklin Gala, um, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, Jeremy Strong, Yaya. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, a little. As a Yaya Martin the second? Yes, yes. That man is everywhere. He's that everywhere. Man is everywhere. <laughs> and he's everything. He's all okay. the things. He's so good. Yes, he really yeah, is. I, my mouth wow. will drop every day on set, and I'll just be like, what is this? Was Juilliard? Is that when you went, sir? I need to sign up. <laughs> Take me there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he went to because I was I was talking to um, Mamadou Aceh um, the other week, and I think he, yeah, like they're part they're part of like this Yale drama school yes. clique. It's like him and um, you know Brian Tyree Henry. Yes, yes. And so, like they're and I was like, do you guys have like a group chat? He was like, of course we do. <laughs> of course right. we have like a group talk. Or a group Jeremy O'Harris, I think, is in that group. You know. Oh my god! All the young, wow. all the young ones that's making noise the good noise. yes that melodies. was amazing melodies That's from amazing. yale <laughs> yes yes and um you know because i'm thinking about like other young black talent i don't know if you went to yale drama school but i was just i just binge watched hollywood on netflix oh, and jeremy oh my god yeah and then jeremy pope uh what is in the movie and he plays like this gay black screenwriter mm. um and so it takes place in hollywood in like the 1940s so it's sort of like this what if like what if we had hollywood that was free of like sexism and racism mm. and you know anti-semitism and so it's just like oh, wow. wow yeah yeah so you and yaya working together i love it i love it. i love that you guys are in the same movie together what are you like did you guys have scenes together or yeah i mean you know mm. most of it all was in like it was big big ensemble bits so i think everyone was always in the scene together um mm-hmm. so we know private moments but it was just it was really it was cool just to kind of even have our like side banter 
um, you know, because we were only two people of color in that whole courtroom as the time mm. was, other than, the, you know, the Black Panther Party that we brought in. And uh, so it was uh, it was kind of cool to to kind of establish that that world and share little like stories about, you know, what we had been reading and researching at the time. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it was good. It was good. That's great. So a little birdie. I'm talking about Twitter here. Twitter <laughs> birdie. I know that you had posted. I think there was a picture that was posted on Instagram where it was you. I think you were on the cast of Euphoria and people are like, hey, is uh, Calvin Harrison Jr. going to be joining uh, Euphoria? And somebody was like, please ask him that. And I was like, all right, I'll try not to like piss him off for his publicity. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, like, so it's so like, is it a no comment? Yes, yeah, you can confirm. Is is or is is that a show you'd be interested on being? I am in in Euphoria season two. We were just about <gasps> to start shooting right before the oh, lockdown. No. Are um, you serious? Yeah. Oh, oh my so god! I think, I, yeah, but but you are but you are part of. I'm so happy to hear that because I love Euphoria. I'm obsessed with that show. That's so when that, news, that Yeah, when this news came out and I was like, I totally see Kelvin on Euphoria. Of course he's on Euphoria. That makes sense. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I felt like Waves and I always said that like Waves and Euphoria are like in conversation with each other. Oh, you know, as far as yeah, like, yeah. yeah, like with the aesthetics and just the way that they're kind of framing the teen narrative. It's so um, Waves yeah. almost didn't get me this job, though. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, the role that they want me for that I'm doing is just like not at all what Waves is. And uh-huh. so, you know, they were just like, I don't know. After Waves, I don't really know if he could be in the show. <laughs> oh, no. So uh, I had to reconvince them. It was a lot of auditions, but it, mm-hmm. it all worked out. So. Um, I can't wait to well, start. You should, you should not be auditioning for anything. And I'm I'm declaring this for you. As of <laughs> 2020, no more auditioning for Kelvin Harrison Jr. Just, just hire him. That's it. That's it. Y'all, listen up. That. I like this idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what advice would you give for any Black actor that's listening to this, you know, actor, actress, and, you know, what advice would you give them as, as far as, like, keeping longevity in this industry? What advice would you give them? Um, <clears throat> just, I, 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 you know, to, I just find your, find ways to, to be encouraged, um, surround yourself around people that inspire you, people that are doing the things that you want to be doing, um, people that are willing to work, do the work. Um, I, 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 you know, that line in waves is real. You know, we do have to work 10 times harder than that, the white guy. And, um, I just, you know, it's easy to kind of want to back down and feel like it's impossible. Um, but it's really not, we, we can control and, 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 and do whatever we, we really put our minds to. If you really want to do it, you'll do it. This is one of the only industries that I think if you continue to work at it and continue to have perseverance, um, you'll actually, it'll, it'll work out one day. You just can't give up. Um, yeah, don't let the powers that be make you feel like talking about uh, racism that it may, make it feels like it fuels racism. It doesn't. Um, you are entitled to articulate your existence however you choose to. Um, and that will ultimately, with the te- with integrity, you'll also always get results. 
So don't do anything you don't want to do. People respect the man that believes in himself, that um, stands in his worth and um, shows them what he has to offer instead of tells them what he's going to do. So um, just do the work. Do the work. Do the work. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Kelvin. Thank you for being on the Spectrum Lounge. I'm so happy we had this conversation. Yeah, I'm so glad you. I finally got to come. You know, we had such a good time yeah. last time. So thank you. We did. Thank <clears throat> you. So thank you for listening to another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. See you on the other side. Oh, and the high note uh, yes. drops on uh, on VOD uh, digital release May 29th, and we can also expect the soundtrack. Correct. Yes. 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 For the high note. So yes, please look. Please look for it. Download it, and we'll be doing that. Hopefully, maybe they will be able to do like a live tweet of the high note. Yeah, we're doing a live. (laughs) I think so. I think we are. Right, Brandy. Oh, fantastic! Yes. 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 Okay. Let me. Let me know. I'll be there. I'll make sure to circle that on my calendar. So. Sick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you guys.